Pastor Doug is uh, in Florida at Disneyland, Disney World. And so he's chaperoning uh, our seniors. Our seniors every year from Temple Christian School go on a trip. They usually go on a trip to New York, uh, but uh, because of COVID regulations and things, they're going to Disney World. And they're there. He sent me a picture of them this morning. I didn't get a chance to add it to it, but he, uh, him and Marisa sent me a picture of them with, with Mickey Mouse this morning. So they're having a good time, but they're also chaperoning seniors. So you know what that's like. Uh, we will continue through with the acts today. Before we get started, I need to say this. Um, my wife and I celebrated 32 years of marriage, February 14th. I really needed that applause, too. But, you know, I, in fact, in our group, we, I teach Sunday school, uh, Sunday Bible study, and I know many of them have some long-term marriages as well. But So I just want to ask you just for a moment, like if you've been married, say, less than five years, raise your hand. All right, all right, you're doing good. Hang in there. You're doing good. How about, how about six to ten? Okay, quite a few. All right. How about 11 to 20? Wow. Quite a, quite a lot. 21 to 30? Wow. I had no idea it would be that many. Okay. 31 to 40. Wow. Man. Wow. How about over 40? Over 40 years married. Wow. That has absolutely nothing to do with the message today. But I just thought we ought to celebrate. Like we're doing life together, right? So we should celebrate those those things, right? So, and I'm proud to say I've been married to her for 32 years. Uh, so... And I needed that applause. <laughs> All right, so we're going into chapter 3, uh, verse 1. We're going to talk through Acts here and the story of the beggar, uh, uh, the crippled man uh, in that story. And when we do, this is kind of a mission aspect of that message. Doug kind of talked through this already before, but we're going to go through it again. Slightly different message, but it's an incredible story. It's got an extraordinary miracle that's going to take place, okay? So let's look at, open your books to, to Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and, and stands over there going, don't forget about the creed. <laughs> I'm not going to forget about the creed. We're going to do the creed. But if you've got your books open, let's go ahead and do that now. If you've not done it with us before, uh, we do, Pastor Doug has started a creed here with uh, for us, and it's about the Bible and how you feel about the Bible. As we say it together, okay? So if you have your Bible or you have your phone that you read the Bible from, then raise it up and let's say this with some conviction, okay? The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. All right, we're looking at 
at Acts chapter 3, verse 1. We're jumping right in. Verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And like Doug said last week, that's 3 o'clock. And what they're doing here is they're doing what Christians did at the beginning of Christianity. Okay? We worshiped with Jews. That's what we did. Christianity and Judaism were not two separate religions at that time. They were, they were very much the same religion and we were working together with one another and praying together. Okay? And now in about a 50 year span, we're gonna, it's gonna start to split ever wider and wider. And, and it's sad today that Judaism sees Christianity as something different and separate. Because the reality is, is that the Bible teaches is that as Christians, we are not separate from Judaism. We're really just an extension and the fulfillment of Judaism. But Jews await, Jews we know await the coming Messiah and Christians, we declare that we believe that the Jewish Messiah has already come, whose name is Jesus, and we await his second coming. Right? So early on, Christians met with Jews. So here we are, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray with the Jews for the prayer service. Okay, verse 2. And a man lame from birth was being carried. Now it's really important that we see this here, that he was lame from birth. This didn't just happen as he was on the way to the temple. He had been lame from the time he was born. He had never walked. His ankles don't work. He's, he's never walked. He's, he's, uh, his uh, legs don't work. And there's an amazing miracle that's about to take place. Okay, continuing in verse 2. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the, the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Okay, so he was placed there so he could beg people that were going to the temple. He was a beggar. Now, Jews, Jews have three pillars of faith. Okay, number one is to understand the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. The second is worship and prayer. And the third is charity, charity of people that are suffering and disabled. And here's the amazing thing with Christianity. Our God is always focused on the people that are not focused on. Right. He also cares about all the people that nobody else sees. Okay? And nobody else cares about. One of the amazing attributes of our glorious and amazing God is that he loves the unlovable. He reaches out to the unreachable. This is who he is. And so God's, God uh, challenged the Jews to do this on the way to the temple. And so they would have some money uh, to, to be able to minister to those that were disabled uh, on the way to the temple, okay? This was a part of their re- religious nature. And I understand that they still do this today. But what's amazing is that, they, that the text says that they placed the man there at the temple gate every day. And so the, the, uh, the author of Acts, Luke, 
tells us that it's a specific gate, right? It's the beautiful gate. Now, I imagine that all of the gates were beautiful. And so if you don't know this, there are ten gates to the temple. And we know this from the Jewish historian Josephus, that there are ten entrances to the temple. Now, nine of them were made of silver and gold. What's amazing is all those covered in silver and gold, none of them were considered the beautiful gate. This particular gate, the one called the beautiful gate, was completely covered in Corinthian bronze. And so if you've ever seen a picture, maybe some of you have gone to the Holy Land, but if you've ever seen a picture of an ancient uh, gate covered in in bronze, over time it, it begins to turn colors And so it's got a lot of different colors on that gate, and it creates this fantastic, this fantastic color all together, and it's beautiful. The bronze gate was so beautiful that if they covered it with gold and silver, it would have destroyed its beauty. Okay? So it became known as the beautiful gate entrance to the temple of God. So this guy, he was strategically placed there each day, so that all the rich people that attend the temple uh, would pass by him, okay? And so let's look at verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Let me ask you something. If you guys saw a a guy begging for money out in front of the church here one morning, what do you think would be going through your mind? Like maybe uh, you need to get the sheepdogs over there. Maybe. Maybe you're thinking, uh, I hope somebody gives them some money. Uh, Maybe you're thinking, well, I, I don't have any cash. Nobody carries cash anymore, right? Maybe your story is you're yourself are too poor to give. Maybe we just look away. You see, I think this story in Acts is this about this poor crippled beggar could actually be a story about three poor men. The first poor man is, of course, the beggar uh, at, by the temple court. And the other two uh, poor men would be the disciples, Peter and John. Look at what Peter says to the beggar in verse 6. The ESV says, I have no silver and gold. Now, the the New Living Translation is translated as, I don't have any money for you. Okay? So this statement alone doesn't necessarily tell us that they were, that the disciples were poor, but I think we can all agree, generally speaking, that Peter and John uh, were not in the category of rich. Like, far from it. Do we agree? Okay. So this this story perhaps isn't really too far-fetched to say that it's a story about three poor men. But it's not just a story about three poor men. What's interesting is this story, we're shown two types of opposite mentalities. Namely, a beggar mentality on the one hand and an abundance mentality on the other And we can understand why the beggar 
had the beggar mentality. He was obviously poor. The text says that he was crippled from birth, which probably explains why he he never had a job. And and to emphasize his poverty, uh, our text even says that he begged for money by the temple court every day. Okay, every day. Now, if Peter and John had have just approached the, uh, him that day with a similar kind of mentality as the beggar, they probably would have said something like, look, sir, you know, we're, all, we're actually not so different. We're also struggling to make ends meet ourselves. Like, look at us. Do you see any silver and gold with us? And then Peter and John would have just walked away forgetting that they did actually have something precious to share with the beggar. Now, thankfully, although the disciples were likely very poor, their hearts were not. They abounded in joy. They knew that they had something precious that they could always share with other people. And that something to share was the power in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 6 says this, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now, this healing was different. This healing was different than anything they had seen Jesus do, right? They hailed him on Christ's authority by incredible faith in the power and the authority of Jesus. And he gave an immediate command and said, rise up and walk. And this man believed instantly. And in the name of the power of Jesus and by faith, he was healed. It's incredible. I, I love reading this story, and I love reading what happens next after he was healed. Look closely at the expressive words that are used in verse 8. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Did you notice what he said? Praising God. He wasn't praising Peter and John. This man knew who healed him. There wasn't any confusion. Right? And in verse 9 we see, he says, And all of the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Can you imagine like, think about that for a moment. Like, the, the beggar was crippled from birth. So no wonder he acted like a little child when he suddenly is able to, to stand on his own. Like he's walking and jumping for the first time in his entire life. Was the beggar, you think he was happy because uh, he had received a large sum of money? Money or silver or gold? No. Obviously not. He was still a poor man. He didn't receive any money from Peter. His money bags were perhaps still empty. 
and yet he was jubilant. He was jubilant because he had been given a miracle in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, if Peter and John would have had money and simply given the money to the crippled beggar, then the following day the beggar would have just come back to the temple like he always did, like the text tells us, begging for money again and again. But that day, but that day he was a changed man. He was still poor. His pockets were still empty. And he was probably even still hungry. But he, he perhaps he forgot all about all of that because his heart was now full of joy. Now, this is not in the word, but you can speculate that there's a great possibility that Jesus passed through this same. We, we actually know this part, that he did pass through this area. And, and he did pass through the beautiful gate uh, and many times actually going to the temple. But there's also this great possibility that Jesus passed by this man, this crippled, this crippled man. And you might ask yourself, well, why didn't he heal him? We don't know. We have no idea. Likely there were many people that he saw, that Jesus saw, that he didn't heal. I believe that there's a distinct possibility he didn't heal him because he had left the work to to his people, the people around the world that placed their faith in him, just like Peter and John. But again, this man was changed. And, And unfortunately for many of us today, we are living with this same kind of mentality like the crippled beggar before he was healed. We claim to believe in Jesus Christ, but we often live like the beggar. We live with the mentality of wanting more and more, and nothing seems to satisfy or to be able to satisfy these worldly desires. We often don't live with an abundance mentality that we have that we have Christ in us. And if we're honest, guys, if we're honest, giving. Giving is a big challenge for many of us. While wanting more and more seems to be becoming more and more normal and, 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 and natural. When we don't have a cell phone, we want a cell phone. After we have a cell phone, we want the newest cell phone. When we don't have a car, we want a car. And after we have that car, we want a newer and better car. And when we don't have a house, we want a house. And after we have a house, we want a bigger and better house, and so forth and so on. Many of our bottomless wants are actually psychological. Wanting, we're, we're actually wanting to be praised. We're wanting to be accepted. We're wanting to be respected. We're wanting to be number one. No wonder that we rarely feel the joy of the power of Christ in our hearts. Christ is perhaps there in our hearts, but he's buried under, crushed under a mountain of insatiably worldly selfish wants. And listen, hear me out. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to say, you know, if we wanting something is bad in itself, especially when we need it. But if we want something to the point where we cannot be satisfied anymore, 
Or if we get to the point in our life where we never seem to have a, a sense of contentment anymore, then we have become slaves to our own desires. Christ, listen, Christ did not come to make us rich. Okay? He, he came to set us free from a mother, among other things, that beggar mentality. I'm often the one uh, on this campus that when people come on, they walk on, and they're, they're begging for money. I'm often the one they talk to. And um, they're hungry, and they're unhealthy in a number of many ways. And over and over and over again, I've seen them sat across at my desk, looking down, not wanting to connect their eyes with me, and tell their story. And it makes me think of this story, right? This crippled man's story. Like, look back at verse 4, where Peter and John directed their gaze gaze at the beggar and said, Look at us. Listen, giving this man permission to look at at them was like saying, Hey, you are worthy of honor. But honestly, too many times in my life, if I'm honest with you, I've just looked away. Like they pulling up, you know, these guys coming along some of my car or whatever, and I just look away. Or if I'm walking by them, I just, I just move on. If I'm honest with you, it makes you wonder though, where did this come from? Where did this come from? Where Peter said, "Look at us." Perhaps he recalls the night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus had just told the disciples that among them, uh, he would, one, among, among them, one of them would betray him. And Peter said to him that he was ready to go to prison and he was ready to die for, with him. And remember the story. This is where Jesus tells him that he would deny him three times before the rooster crows that day. You know the story. Jesus is arrested. Peter denies him three times. And after that third time, Immediately the rooster crows, right? And just and Jesus turned just then and looked at Peter. And I imagine, we know the text says that he just went away and wept. I believe Jesus looked at him, not with anger or frustration. I think he looked at him just like he always did, with love. That's the way he is. You see, Peter, Peter knows what it's like to be seen. He understands the importance in seeing others because he's been rescued by grace himself. And in in, in, in verse 6, Peter says, silver and gold I have none. But can we all be honest for a moment? We can't say silver and gold, I have none. We are predominantly upper middle class families here. I can do nothing. It's not us. Right? It's not who we are. Which means that God has placed us in an even greater position than he did with the disciples, with the apostles. Now, God had created a system for people of no means to depend on God's people. What kind of system? Well, Doug told us about this two weeks ago. In Acts 2, verse 45, he says this. 
And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this is a beautiful picture of the body of Christ taking care of the body of Christ. Now, relax. No one's asking you to sell your possessions. Okay? But I hope you will under, uh, you'll agree that we should do something to take care of the inside, the body, and our neighbors. And over and over again, I have met with these people that have walked in, and I'll give them maybe $20 from the church. Uh, I've given them many times money out of my own pocket, uh, give them, fill up their, their gas tank, prayed with them, and most of the time I've never seen them ever again. And I'll be honest with you, it breaks my heart every time that we don't have a means at this church to help these people. Now, on the other hand, I have seen over and over again our own members struggling through various life change and circumstances that have caused them some sort of financial hardship. And I've seen many of you come to their rescue because, again, the church itself doesn't really have, doesn't have the means to take care of our members in this way when difficulties come. Now, I've asked Kathy Wrench if I could share uh, a story that she went through, a short story about uh, when her husband passed. Uh, they had been on VA benefits. And uh, when he passed, they immediately stopped those checks, immediately. And and so now Kathy had applied for Social Security assistance and such, but it was going to take some time for that to come through. And so it took a few months for that those that money to start coming in. But at the moment and at the time, she had nowhere to turn. So praise God, she came to the church and and, and said she needed help. Now, Kathy had no idea at this time that we didn't have a system or a means to take care of our members in this way. She had no idea. But thankfully, uh, we did. We were under budget in another area, and we reallocated those funds to help her, and and we did that until her checks uh, came in, you know, and they started uh, paying her again. Praise the Lord that we could help, right? But listen. We don't have a budget or a means to help our members in this way. And I'm telling you guys, in the three years that I've been here, this has been eating at me. It's been eating me up. And I'm just like, we got to do something. We need to do something. Now, we have uh, within our church, we have a means where we show you kind of what, how we, you know, a lot of times when we when you hear this, you think, well, then we're, Where's our tithes and offerings going? Well, we show you in a monthly report exactly where every every penny is spent. We're one of the few churches that's very transparent about that. But even if we had this particular line item, would be a, a mission line item. But again, it's not on that budget either. And so in this case, we have these circumstances where People are coming in and they're hurt and they're needing some kind of help and members that are hurt and having some kind of help and praise the Lord. Some of you sometimes come alongside them, but we need a means to help them. I hope you will all agree 
So for quite some time, this has been brewing in my heart, and I've been wanting to prepare a ministry, a mission for those that are walking in, needing money or some sort of help, and for our members. So today, we are thrilled to announce a brand new local mission called Local Vision Mission. This is for the inside and the outside of our church, a ministry where for the short term, we can take care of our members, okay, when hard times come. A means of taking care of the body of Christ. Not just for the body, though, for our community around us, the homeless, the poverty-stricken, right here in our back our backyard, okay, and all around us. This is a strategic plan to help us in such, help in such a way that allows for the one in need to not just receive financial means, but a means to receive biblically integrated assistance in budgeting, job placement assistance, tech, uh, teach healthy uh, uh, financial habits, and many other things. Now, I've had an opportunity to see this work uh, before at another church that does a mission like this, and so I want to share a quick story with about how that works. This is an actual story that took place. A homeless couple walks into the church asking for money, in fact, begging for money. This church sets them up in their mission program, similar to what we're rolling out. They got them food. They were able to assist this man with getting a job. And soon after that, they helped him rent a trailer home. Okay? The wife, come find out, couldn't read. She couldn't read at all. Someone at the church started teaching her how to read, and, and they taught her. Okay? And from the beginning, they had this beggar mentality the whole time, like they were entitled. In fact, I will tell you that they say that they were very difficult to deal with. Okay? But they kept them on the plan, and all the while teaching them faith and finance, a biblically integrated system, sharing the gospel while they were helping them through this. Okay, and they kept them on the program. Soon after, this couple, they gave their lives to the Lord. They got baptized. They began to tithe. They began to serve. And a few years later, that couple purchased their own trailer home. They have children now growing up in the church. That was seven years ago. These, these are the people that nobody else would see. These are the people that we walk on by. So we have created this new mission. We have written a process and a strategic plan for this mission. But I cannot do this by myself, and our deacons in our church cannot do it by ourselves. We need your help. We need social workers, we need business owners, we need teachers, we need nurses, we need people that are going to be encouragers, we need prayer partners, and we'll need many other volunteers. And yes, we're going to need some funding. We're going to need some funding on an ongoing basis. This being a new mission, we're not sure what the, what the needed budget will be, but we would, we'd like to ask you to consider making a sacrifice to give. Maybe something like just not eating out once a month. Okay, nothing, nothing major. You don't have to sell your possessions, right? But listen, when you go to fill out your cards for the faith promise commitments, 
If the Lord is ask, is calling you to give and to partner, to speak Jesus into our local body, into the community, community would, you, would you please include that? Just include that amount to be set aside and given specifically to this mission. Just include it on that card. And we're excited to begin this. And we cannot wait to see people changed by the good news of the gospel and the impact that it's going to make on our members and the community around us. Because we're going to do this together. All right? Now, Jesus, during his ministry, his three years of ministry, he too was on a mission to change the human race. And he had a sense of urgency about it. He was focused. He was purposeful. And Jesus, in the midst of his mega narrative, he never lost sight of the minor opportunities. His mission was his people. His attention was on the cross, but his eyes never left the faces of those around him. The faces of the broken, the outcasts, the unclean, the disdained, the ugly. Jesus made eye contact with the blind. He approached the leper. He touched the dead. He was always on mission, always aware, always on task, always available. Local vision mission. Make no mistake, there is intentional use of the word vision here in the name of this local mission. It has everything to do with the visional attention of Jesus. When we have trouble seeing, what do we do? We put light on it, right? And David says in the Psalms, he says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path. God's word is the vision of our direction of our lives, right? And when we see, we look at people, what do we see? We ought to see people the way that Jesus sees people. Matthew, in the book of Matthew, he records, when, he's, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And throughout the Gospels, we see references where the writers begin the, the, the interaction about Jesus using the words, he saw. And I don't think it's any accident. I believe that the writers are speaking, though, more of just physical eyesight here. You see, Jesus has this ability to see below the surface, to look beyond the obvious, to view others in, with insight and understanding, to discern their spiritual state, to perceive the longing of their hearts and recognize their true needs. Jesus saw people, everyday common people like you and me. And Matthew wrote, they were weary and scattered. These common people were desperately longing for God. And guess what? The scribes and the Pharisees, the priests and the Sadducees, the pillars of the, of the, of the Orthodox religion of the day had nothing to offer them. They had neither guidance, nor comfort, 
nor strength to give. But Jesus could. And he did. Because he saw. The Savior was moved with compassion. And that is that same compassion that moves us to action at the very depths of our being within us. Jesus was deeply touched by the brokenness of his people. He saw their plan. He saw their sorrow, their suffering, their spiritual hunger, their loneliness. Jesus saw the emptiness inside the Samaritan woman. He saw the eagerness of Zacchaeus to turn his life around. He saw the penitence of the sinful woman who shed tears at his feet. He saw the faith of the Gentile woman who dared touch his garment. He saw the goodness and future potential in flawed people like Peter and the other apostles who were ordinary men. Listen. Before he healed, before he taught, before he cleansed, before he bled, he saw so should we. No mission or worldly mentality should ever obscure our vision from the human condition around us. We must fix our eyes like Jesus, like Peter and John did in this story, and allow our hearts to follow. One last thought, and I'm done. Can you imagine with me for a moment our local vision mission whereby we too can be filled with wonder and amazement from our own stories just like the ones I've shared with you today? What a testimony that would be. What if this body became a city on a hill where lives are changed and hope is restored? Where we really see see others we really see each other and those around us through the lens of Christ and speak Jesus into their lives